Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, SheCast episode 48. And I'm on with a classmate, a former classmate of mine from college. So we're both Wolverines, which is a good thing. Go Blue. Go Blue, right? The only U of M. So friends, if you think that there's another U of M, there is not. There There is is not. not. Correct. (laughs) It's only the University of Michigan. So I'm on with Steven Sneed. So welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Hey, it's glad to be here. So good to have you. So one of the reasons I reached out to Steven was because, oh, wait, before I get there. So Steven, tell us who you are in your own words. Uh, well, I am an educator um, trying to build systems of support and learning for students. Uh, all across the world, and with a particular focus here in my home county of Oakland County. Nice. I love that. Very cool. So, Stephen and I, like, you know how social media happens, and Facebook in particular, people that you interact with the most via Facebook, their lives will be seen, you'll see their lives more frequently than other Yeah, more frequently, yeah. And so, and that sadly is one one of the things that came from or came out of the 2016 election is like we were kind of siloed and echo chambers is talked about and just looking at the different feeds of people that identify, for example, more on the red side of things, like the news feeds that they would get, same thing with people who identify more on the blue side of things. But just your interaction with people, humans, um, kind of, there's a formula or an algorithm. And so all of a sudden I started getting questions like your feed, um, was intersecting (laughs) mine and I was seeing you, uh, and these questions and friends, Steven will have like a hundred to 200 sometimes comments, depending (laughs) on the question that he asks. And the best is what he'll just say, asking for a friend. So, how did this come to be? So, so there's actually a pretty long backstory to the the inception of the these question asking. Sure. Right. So and we so got really, So we got the time, right? We got the Fire time. away. So it really stems from my personal romantic life, right? So I am uh, 36 years old. Um. I was married at 29, uh, divorced at 31. So I was only in a formal marriage for, for two years. But with that person, we were um, together for a total of five years prior to the marriage. So we got together, you know, around the time that I was 23, 24 years old. And then when she and I divorced, um, very soon after I started a new relationship that lasted about um, three and a half, four years. And so for a big chunk of my adult life, I had spent that in back-to-back monogamous relationships. And even um, my last uh, live-in girlfriend and I split. Um, I started another relationship pretty soon after that that lasted for about eight months. So from about 
the age of 20, let's say, just say 23 to 34, I was in a string of con- almost near contiguous um, monogamous relationships. And so at the age of 34, no longer in, in a relationship, you know, just trying to make stock of, of my life and, you know, how to, how to move forward, you know, what do I know, what do I don't know? And um, it was very interesting. And so this is what, what started it. So I was at a bar with some, some work friends, some friends who are, you know, in, in my education circle. And uh, one of those friends had a sister. The sister was fine, right? The sister was cute. I'm like, I'm looking at her like, hey, what's, what's going on? And I'm thinking, like, I'm single, you know, not really jump back into a formal relationship. But, like, you know, of course, I'm looking to date, be social, whatever. And so at the time, I used to hugely watch Scandal, right? Sure. Scandal. Yeah. Uh, Olivia Pope, you know, hashtag it's handled. And so we started chatting up, you know, with, with her and the sister about, um, you know, Scandal. She likes Scandal too. So we're discussing characters and theories. And, you know, I'm like, hey, we could be, you know, Scandal buddies to watch sometimes. So like, yeah, da, 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 da. So we exchanged numbers. And so I left that interaction feeling very confident, like, oh, this this person like there's a connection there. She has, maybe she kind of likes me. You know, I'd like to capitalize on this connection and see where where it goes. And um, I think either after some text interaction, um, I had asked her out, and she said, "Oops, well, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give you the, the wrong impression." Um, I have a boyfriend, you know, and I was like, oh, you know, I didn't know. And and not that I initially presented myself that way initially, but I just and maybe at the time I had some false assumptions of, you know, this person is interested in me and therefore is giving me her number to continue to develop that interest. Sure. And on her end, it wasn't that. It was simply, hey, this person, you know, likes scandal, and I like scandal, and that is as far as the connection would go. And I was hoping it was going to go further. And so, um, so I left that, and now I'm thinking in my head is like, okay, I used to think, and, the, and you can tell my thinking is very, very dated, right? I'm even blasting back to like middle school, high school sort of dating roles, even undergrad dating roles, that if a girl gives you her phone number, then she is interested in you. And, and, and interest is a wide, broad spectrum, right? right? But at least there's something there. And at least in that interaction that I had with her, I learned from her is that, well, that is not true. So then it, I started to think about, well, what are all the things that I don't know or the things that I think I know, but I need to check in on that understanding. And so that's how the question started. The questions were really, you know, not not even asking for a friend. They were asking for me because I'm just trying to figure out, well, now that I'm in this new dating world, I don't know what to do. Like, how do you date in your mid-30s that was different from when I was truly single back in like in the 20s and undergrad, right? How do you do this thing 
at this age and stage. And so that's how the questions initially started. I love that story. Uh-oh, I think I'm getting some feedback. Let's see. So yeah, I love that because it's so true. I remember being a part of a singles ministry when I lived in Las Vegas. And Okay. That's got to be tough to be a singles ministry in Las Vegas. You know what? It So being single in Las Vegas was very tough. Um, yeah. I wasn't single the entire time I was there, but I was there for almost 10 years. And I was only in a relationship for, I would say, maybe a total of like three years of it. So okay. maybe four. Um, so I was overwhelmingly more single than I was attached. And okay. I will tell you that the church that I, I remember one time I went to a singles ministry and I was the youngest by decades in that okay. ministry. The rest of the people were divorced and were elderly, quite honestly. And I was okay. so depressed about it. And I was just like, oh my goodness. Uh -huh. Because when people are in church, I, so I've spoken about this with another guest uh, that was episode, I don't know, 30 something. Uh, Reverend Sarah Heath. Uh, she's single. And um, so, yeah, that was episode 35. But what was interesting, something that we discussed was that a lot of focus is on young couples. There, there are a lot of mm -hmm. young couples, right, in churches that get right. married in their early 20s. And that's not necessarily the norm anymore, but maybe right. it is. Um, and so the focus is on like these new couples and getting connected and mentoring, you know, with couples that are older that have the same faith. But there was like this wide chasm with people in their thirties, um, whether they're divorced or single, meaning they've never been married before or widowed, I guess. Um, right. And I remember this one church in Vegas, they had a rockin' singles ministry that other churches singles would attend. Okay. And I remember thinking, you know what, this would be so much easier if everyone had a bracelet, right? So if you had a mm -hmm. bracelet, like with corresponding colors, where everyone knew the rules, then there wouldn't be any awkward. Right. Like, right. Some sort of right? visual identifier, exactly. right? So it's like, okay, we are together, but we're not married, right? So that's right, one. Right. So then you're essentially off the market. Or right. you are just getting back in the swing of things. Perhaps you are leaving a long-term relationship or you had been in a long-term relationship and have taken the time that you need to kind of heal and look right. at your part in the end of that relationship. And then now you're ready to start to get to know people. Right. Or you're right. married, you know, because not all married people wear wedding bands. Like right. the notion of a wedding band, I get why some people would be adverse to it. And at the same time, it is very visual to let right. someone like you and I know that like I'm single or I'm, you know, available. Right. So right. I was exactly. just thinking like, it would be so nice if everyone would follow these rules, you know, but that's not, that's not how it is. And right. 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 You're right. I remember one time I was on a first date and it was clear so we didn't have anything in com common, really. Mm -hmm. How do I put this? Okay, so what he wanted in terms of future is not what I want and vice versa, right? right? Okay. So, 
And yet, and still, we decided to go on a date. So we met for coffee at one of my favorite coffee shops in Las Vegas. And it was clear to me at a certain point that we this was our first and our last date. And it was right. totally good, you know. And, and we had fun, you know. I'm pretty – it's fine, you know. Dating yeah, is just yeah. kind of a means. Um, and it could be fun if you open yourself up to that. So – I left and, you know, we walked out and then I was on the phone with one of my best girlfriends. She also went to Michigan and I said, there is this really good looking guy in there that I feel like I should talk to. And she was like, oh my God, you're scared. Like, not you're scaring me, but she felt, she was like, you're making me so nervous. <laughs> right. And nervous. so I scribbled something like a, just a quick note on a piece of paper. And I was like, girl, I'm going in there. And so I stayed on the phone with her. But I wrote this man a note and I just said, listen, I was just on a first date. There will not be a second. And if you're single and you want to meet for coffee, give me, like, let me know, you know, and okay. I have my phone number. Okay. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> Get it, girl. Right? I was like, I mean, the, the there are only two options here. Yes or no. Right? Right. And I'm okay with either one. So he, I end up getting a text message from a call, like a number that was not saved in my phone. Mm-hmm. And he says, this is so-and-so. I don't even remember his name. And we met at Samba Latte and I am not single. However, something along the lines of, I think it was really cool that you gave me this note and I hope that you meet someone that you are really excited to go on a second date with. Which I thought was Aww. so sweet. And, so, I, yeah, yeah. and I responded and I just said, you know what? Thank you for your note, uh, your kind note, and for being honest about being in a relationship because that doesn't happen a lot sometimes. Right. Um, right. And, you know, the, and that was it, you know, and we did not text anymore um, because, you know, that would not have been appropriate. Um, right. So, yeah, it's. It's just because you never know. You just never know until you, you know. Well, and and that and that's, uh, you know, uh, again, part of the the, the reasons of me, you know, asking so many questions, at least in the past on on Facebook. Now, now they've taken on a whole different life, which I'll tell you about in in a second here. So very broadly, very even say this is part of a, a stereotype, but in a traditional sense, um, the the man is the one who typically is approaching the female, right? Sure. So the man is making the first inroads, and in and in this, I'm talking about a traditional you know, heterosexual relationship. Right. Um. So guys are typically taking on the risk. Of an of some form of rejection, and some guys take that rejection uh, in in different ways. And I definitely will say, in some of the questions that I've asked, it's definitely been very been made very clear to me that some of the reaction that guys give women upon rejection is simply awful, inhumane, and inexcusable. Like the things that you know, some women have told me on guys that, you know, they've, they've rejected and even some rejected in a, in a very positive, you know, polite light have been completely awful, right? So I just want to, you know, stake a claim for 
you know, the women who share those things with me, you know, guys, we need, we need to do better on that. We kind of need to man up. And, you know, if, if the advance is refused, whether it's a polite decline or you even perceive it as a rude decline, you know, take your licks and keep on going. So part of my questioning was really like, you know, like if you take a look at insurance, right? You, 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 that insurance is like, you know, how risky is this thing? And then how expensive do you pay to mitigate that risk? So in terms of uh, making a risk to approach someone or make an advance on someone, the questions and getting information from those questions were my attempt to sort of mitigate the risk of making an advance towards a, a woman. Like, how do you know when to do a thing? When should you not do a particular thing? You know, for example, like, is there an optimal location to ask a woman for a number? Or when should you not ask a woman for a number? Um, you know, is an optimal setting, you know, a bar? Is it a restaurant? Is it the grocery store? Um, so that, you know, at least for me, you know, I, so I don't outwardly, um, you know, re- respond negatively to rejection. And I'll just take it in and I'll say, sorry, okay, but I don't like rejection, right? I don't think anyone actually like, hey, I really love that this person that I potentially was interested in said no. So like, how can I reduce my no's, increase my yeses on people that, you know, I may be particularly interested in? And I typically don't um, make advances a lot. Um, You know, I'm not that type of guy that's like hitting on everything walking. You know, there may be something really special about the person, uh, physical or not physical, that will make me say, hey, you know, I'd be interested in, in learning more about this person. And so how can I make sure that my interest um, can get, get taken up? And so that's why, you know, there's, there's those questions. So what you did was, was very brave and, and his response was wonderful, right? That, that was just, you know, just, just kind of treating each other as, as human beings. And sort of now, you know, the questions that I ask now, typically I'm not even asking, like I, w- I would definitely say, Within the past, let's say, three months, 90% of those questions are not by my creation, but someone else asking me to ask that question because they're curious about, you know, what do people say? And what I hope is that it creates a place for, for people to have a conversation so that we can treat each other like, like human beings and be kind to one another, you know, no matter what your perspective is, is or not. Because um, at the end of the day, that's what what I would want returned to me, whether someone would pick up on advance or not. You know, how can we how can we understand each other? How can we honor each other as as people? You know, whether you're in a, a heterosexual relationship or not, or, or any type of relationship, you know, romantic, even non-romantic. You know, how do we understand each other? And even though we might differ, you know, we can still honor each other. As, as people, and that, I think, will make the world a better place. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree. Um, and I wanted to, I'm glad that you added about, um, you know, heterosexual couple or not, you know. So on this show, I'm very affirming to all communities. 
Um, the exception, I think, is that I'm not as affirming to racist <laughs> or bigoted, <laughs> right, um, right. sexist communities. And so, yes, overwhelmingly, if you look at a sphere of heterosexual couples, men, from what I've seen in my life, so I'm only sharing my own lived experience as you've shared yours, men do the approaching, you know, and they right. are the ones that are experiencing the rejection if there is rejection and it is interesting because one of my uh friends she met her husband in a whole foods and i was like i wish i could meet someone in a whole foods you know but people don't approach me like men don't approach me um very rarely men have approached me uh when i've been out and about and so some people would want that but you're right everyone is different and um you know, I can't, I can only speak as a woman who has only dated um, men, you know, and I don't know what it's like to be in a same sex uh, relationship or, you know, I don't necessarily identify. I do believe that sexuality is a spectrum and some right. people are on one end of the spectrum more firmly than others. Um, right. So I think it's important to add that as well because there is no relationship that's more valid than any other relationship when it comes to right. romantic relationship. And mm -hmm. I love what you said about honoring one another because everyone's in a different place. Right. And so, right. I mean, I've asked men that I'm like, well, if you were interested in me, would you approach me? You know, or if, or if they are interested and I know they're interested, um, <laughs> would you have approached me if we had met in a conventional, like in a, in real, you know, because, and I think that's why the advent of online dating has been more helpful in certain respects yeah. because it's a different platform. You know, you're not, you might get rejected, but it's in a different way. Um, right. And I've rejected a man and I've been called the N word, you know, online. Wow. Yeah, wow. totally. Yeah. I submitted, actually, you wrote a, you wrote that question about like rejection and um, I did, and what's cool, friends, is Stephen responds to every single comment. He will say something or like something. Um, if you've taken the time to write something, he will I do. Uh, yep. correspond with you. Um, and some threads definitely get longer. So the one that I submitted for that is that someone asked me for my number. And this was early. Like, yeah, I yeah, I remember that. Days, right? And yeah, yeah. Um, I said, I don't give out my number, but I'll take yours. And I was kind about it. And he yeah. threw his drink on me. And so yeah, I was, like, that's awful. <laughs> right? It's that's terrible. awful. Like, come on, guy. Like, right? for real, exactly. guy? Like, well, and the thing is, I was like, well, at least I was wearing black. So it didn't stain anything. But still, the <laughs> yeah. fact, you know, and I'm pretty resilient and thick skinned. But it's, I mean, either way, it was unacceptable. It was an unacceptable response to anything and everything right like that right. is never okay um so yeah and more recently we're talking about um people's interaction with police so you're right it lends itself you know asking these questions for people to have dialogue and what's cool is that there have been all different um ethnicities of people from what i can gather based on their profile pictures mm -hmm, responding mm -hmm. right so it hasn't just yeah. been one community um, there have been a multitude of people and people, so you were talking about, um, the last question that I noticed yesterday was on people's interaction with police. And so right. there were a lot of people that had positive responses and there were people that had negative responses. There were people that had a little bit of both. Um, and right. that 
And then people with no real experience um, or interaction with the police. Um, you were going to say something? Well, the, the funny thing about the timing of that question, um, I think uh, I think I was like driving home one day um, and and so so where I live in in Oakland County, the county as a whole is particularly affluent, um, although there are pockets of, of a lot of economic diversity within the county. And, and I just so happened to be driving through um, a place in Oakland County that, you know, is particularly well to do. And um, a person was pulled over and was, was talking with the police. And, you know, although I'm driving by like 40 miles an hour, the interaction seemed, you know, fairly positive. And um, the police officer was white. Uh, the person he was talking to was, was black. And uh, that made me want to ask that question. You know, I know that there's, you know, definitely a national story that's, that's playing out. And, you know, you a Black Lives Matter crowd. And I think, I think sometimes those, cloud, those crowds are, are blended and sometimes they're not. But kind of ignoring the national landscape for a bit and really just thinking about you personally, like not sure. friends of friends or what you see yeah. in news media, but how, what have you, your interactions with, with police, you know, have been, you know, I would say, you know, of, of mine, they've been overwhelmingly uh, positive, save, save one. Um, but, but even that experience wasn't, you know, overtly negative. And so I tended to have a different experience than what I would see played out in, in the national sphere. And so I was just, you know, wondering, well, what have been the experiences, you know, of, of others? You know, it was very, very mixed. Nothing was overwhelmingly positive. Nothing was overwhelmingly negative. People had um, individually, you know, overwhelmingly positive or negative or mixed uh, interactions with, with police. Um, and all of that happened before we be, we started to learn the news of Jordan Edwards. Yes. Um, the, the, the most recent you know, victim uh, of, of uh, it's not even police brutality. It's, it's, it's almost like, police policing ignorance i truly think that in these moments there's there's a there's an absence in in judgment um when it comes to you know making a decision to use force and it it always just you know perplexes me you know why was there a decision to use force in this instance in this regard um and 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 even seeing looking back over those responses uh, there are a number of opportunities in, in some of what you know, they describe where an officer could have made a different decision and had a, an awful outcome. And, and how, you know, what it makes me think of is, you know, how critical it is to train, support, and monitor police agencies so that more of our police officers can be equipped to make the right decisions in really tough circumstances, because when they do make the wrong decisions, they're, they're disastrous consequences. Right. Um, and, and at least, you know, as I said earlier in the podcast, you know, who am I? I'm a person that, you know, wants to build 
systems of, of learning and support for uh, young people, for children to learn, you know, I tend to think in, in sort of systems, you know, how can we build a system of municipal policing that honors us, all of us, and particularly people of color, as human beings, so that when it comes to that judgment, you, you, that's not the first thing you're going to reach for is a gun or a rifle to defuse a, a, a situation, because that's a, that's a human being that you honor and that you cherish and you protect, and that's the first thing that you see, rather than whatever they're they're happening to see that they're not valuing that that particular life. Yeah. No. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. I've been listening to, uh, what is it called? Undisclosed. I don't know if you know that podcast. Have you heard of Undisclosed? No, I haven't. Uh-uh. Okay. So it is um, Rabia Chowdhury. And at this point, um, so she, I interviewed her. Um, she was the, my guest three episodes ago, and she's an attorney. And she does a lot of facilitation between the Muslim community. And that podcast first took a look at Anan Saeed's, uh, whom is a family friend of Rabia's. Uh, okay. It's her younger brother's best friend from high school. And he's been incarcerated. So he's your age, actually. He's been con- okay. incarcerated since y'all were 17. Wow. Yes. For wow. Uh, mur- he was convicted of murder. Through the work of Serial Podcast, through NPR, uh, she gave the case to Sarah Koenig, who is just a reporter, not just, but she's not an investigative reporter, and she was very clear about that. But she did what the police failed to do, and the Mm. police, in this case, is Baltimore PD, so BPD, which is becoming a very big problem and a huge stain to any police officer who does the right thing for the community in which they have said that they would protect and serve. And so BPD is also the ones responsible for killing Freddie Gray. Right. And so this season, uh, so Anand Saeed's case was for season one, season two, I didn't listen to season three has been a series of arcs of what I believe is going to be black men who have been wrongfully convicted. And so the first case was Jamar Huggins. The second case is uh, Freddie Gray. And Freddie Gray, in the end, what they said was that he had a switchblade, which does Mm. not mean he should have died for that switchblade, right? And so they're investigating, but um, I'll have to send you the link to uh, the addendum. So every week they, so Monday they will put a live, a new episode up, and then Thursday will be a corresponding addendum. And D. D Watkins, he's a black man who is from the Baltimore area. area. I believe he still lives there, and he's pretty amazing. And so he always has a panel of really great guests. And Marsha Chatlin's another one. She is a professor at Georgetown University and several other reporters and um, members of the press. And so, you know, one of the things that D was talking about, he's like, I'm going to make a list of rules. Because one of the things that I needed to do when I started posting about political stuff was I made, needed to make rules myself on my Facebook page because people were losing their minds right. and were saying things that were completely inappropriate. People that had supported a candidate that I did not support 
And that's not so much the issue. I mean, I wouldn't date someone that I, that we didn't voted for different people, which was one of your questions. What if you found out that the person you're on a date with, uh, voted for Trump and the, the comments were hysterical. Hilarious. Hilarious. He said that police officers need to really live in the cities in which they police and they need to start, you know, have better training, which is true. Las Vegas Metro police department realized that they were over policing um, Mm. people of color. And so they decided they took it upon themselves to do additional training. And Trevor Noah actually mentioned this on a clip on comedy central. And he said, if Las Vegas can figure it out. Why can't the rest of the country, you know, figure it out? And the truth is, is that, you know, to your point, every interaction is different, but overwhelmingly we've been seen. And the media has played a huge part in this cell phone video as well. But I think that we wouldn't know some of the stuff we know today without that. And at the same time, I think the action that's being taken could be different actions as well. Like I'm all for right. protests yeah. and marches. Like I am all for that, please. Um, and at the same time, conversations, more conversations should be happening within cities right. and municipalities, right? Like, like I think all, like, you know, whether we're spanning, you know, issues of social justice, romantic relationships, you know, policies, the, the one common thing across all the questions that, like I said, I, 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 in the larger scheme of thing, I hope it accomplishes is that we need more authentic experiences to interact with each other and to lean less on, you know, traditional views, uh, media views, stereotypical views, and instead of leaning on those definitions, but create your own definitions based on your own authentic experiences. And I think, you know, and, I, and I'll definitely give, you know, the, the police, you know, a, a, a huge thank you because they, you know, work really tough jobs. They, they're, they're called to go into situations that no one else will, right? But if you are a white police officer and the only interaction you ever have with people of color is in a, a criminal, violent, or property crime situation, you know, naturally, you are going to begin to see people of color in a particular light, because that's all, right. that's, that's been your experience. You don't have an authentic experience of what it means to be a person of color because what it means to be a person of color is as wide as you know the ocean right you you have you have so many varied experiences but if you only have this one type of experience what i think is over time um you sort of typecast people you know when and so that you know at, at me as being a black male of color you know even i'm aware you know of certain instances where i might be in the community in which there aren't a lot of people of color, you know, people are, you know, clutching their purses or will cross the side of the street. And I feel really bad for those people because they don't know, right? They don't really know that, you know, to be a black male, at least in in my experience, is wide and varied from, you know, I've 
struggled in in my life to I've had no struggles to I'm college educated or not college educated, family man, not family man, right? There's you can't typecast, you know, a person because of the color of their skin, but because you don't have authentic experiences with people who are like that, you tend to put them in, in one basket. And right. and that right. is, you know, an unfortunate trend um, that I that I see that is in some instances made worse by the mass media because in particularly news media or visual media, um, it tells a story because, you know, they're trying to get ratings. You know, it's part of the capitalistic society. They got to get ratings to sell ads and to get, you know, greater market share. And so they're tapping into those stereotypes. They're tapping into those fears and making, you know, a situation that's already kind of, you know, tenuous making it worse. And I think the, the best way you can counteract that way, you know, for example, with police, you know, if police live in, in the communities in which they, um, in which they serve, keyword being serve, you know, they'll see that, you know, every little black boy in the hood is not in a gang, right. is not right. doing drugs, is not carrying a gun. You know, they like power rangers. They want to go to the park. They want to be lawyers or, or, or engineers, or sometimes they don't even know what they want to be and they, and they need help. And there's a wide variety of, of people, right, the human beings, and we have to do more to see each other as as human and not, not a thing or a thing with a label on it. Right. Uh, I agree. That's one of the things that Robbie and I talked about is that if you don't, if you have a question about somebody, find somebody that holds those identities and have a cup of coffee with them or a chai tea latte if you're me. Right. Right. Because that is how breaking bread with someone, having a meal with someone, eating dessert with someone, having a conversation, that's how things change. Right. Um, because right. I didn't always think that the way I think right now, but then some of my biases, some of my blind spots came into light. And I realized, okay, there's a shift that needs to be made. And, you know, when people, I often define words because sometimes people have a problem. They say, if I tell someone they're ignorant, right, they think I'm calling them stupid. I'm not. Ignorant right. is something completely different than stupid. Ignorant right. means lacking experience with, right? Right. Right. Um, right. And so if you are a white male police officer, you are not going to have experience being a black male or right. a black female or a Latinx person. Right. And so it is really important for people to start to have these conversations because you're right. The way I, when you were talking, I was just thinking, can I live? You know, I have not had Actually, in Michigan, I had more negative interactions with police officers. But when I lived in Vegas, I had all pleasant interactions with police officers. And, mm. you know, as I hear one more person and it's like Jordan Edwards, you know, say his name and anyone else. And it's like, no, we need to say their names because these are human beings. They are not super predators or whatever crap like asshole things people say about people of color um, because these are these are human beings created 
just like you were, you know, and the more we have these conversations and talk about it and we write and we share our stories, the better it is because then maybe the light will switch on, you know, Um, because you're right. Why is the first course of action grabbing an assault rifle? Why is that? We had parties in my neighborhood here in Ann Arbor growing up, you know, or where I grew up. And it's like, I remember the police came once and my neighbor was like, Chidima, can you talk to them? I'm scared. And I was like talking to the police officers and they're like, we don't want to call anyone's parents, but we will. But that was what it was like, because they recognized that some of their kids could have been at that party, you know, Um, and nothing was going on besides people hanging out, you know? Um, And I don't know what else really was going on, but they decided to ask the questions first, you know, instead of shoot first, ask questions later. When you think right. about it, like I'm reading a book for our social justice um, book club that um, two of my girlfriends and I started. And it's um, by Trayvon Martin's uh, parents. And I think it's called, uh, what is it? I will tell you right now. Rest in Power. Mm. A parent's story of love, injustice, and the birth of a movement, the enduring life of Trayvon Martin, right? And I posted on Facebook a little while ago a photo of myself at 17 and Trayvon Martin, whom we know was killed at 17, and then a picture of Medgar Evers at age 38 when he was killed, murdered, gunned down in his driveway with his wife and daughter to watch, and me now um, at age 38. And it was a really poignant moment for a lot of people that are on my feed or I come across their feed because it humanized what these men's men had um, sadly experienced their murder. Right. 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 And not one person that is in my life would want me to be gunned down by a so-called, and I'm putting in air quotes, concerned citizen or by essentially the KKK, right? No one would want me or just some random person. They wouldn't want, um, my community would not want that for me or for you, right? Right, right. But when we put a name to it, that's why we say, say say their name or say his name, say her name, say their name. Um, And that's why Black Lives Matter is a thing because what I see is demonstrative of Black Lives not mattering. If they mattered, right. no one would right. have to say my life matters, right? Exactly. Um, because it already does. Uh, and exactly. it doesn't say, no one's saying only black lives matter. We just want our yeah. lives to matter. Um, and I, I, I liken this to the LGBTQ community as well. It's like, can I live? You know, that might not be the community. I support that community. I don't mm-hmm. identify as uh, LGBTQ. And at the same time, it's like, can they live? Can someone who loves someone, can they just live? Because it really can has no impact on your life whatsoever, ever. <laughs> like at all. Right, right. Not even a little, well, it, you know? And, and that's why it's so, so one of the, the, the questions you, you, you talked about that I asked, you know, could you date a, a Trump voter? And um, at least I think it depends upon that person. My default answer is no, but I'm going to put a little asterisk there. So now we would talk about the issues of identity, right? So I have a fairly 
strong political identity. And I identify, um, you know, I see that as a part of me, as a who I am is, is rooted in, um, you know, a sociological political identity. Um, but for someone else, that's not typically high across their, their list of who they see they are. Now, they may have cast a vote for a particular person, but they might not be so high on, on their identity list. And so, you know, here's a difference. You know, if you were like a Trump voter and you're a member of the, the Republican Party and you're a member of the family Christian conservatives value pack, you know, no, absolutely not. Like, we're, we're not going to get along. But if you're a person that, you know, like, hey, well, I voted Trump because he's a business guy. And that's as far as your, right. um, you know, identity went. Like, yeah, why not? Because I could, I could probably change your mind, right? right. <laughs> but it's, it's all in that, you know, how do we see ourselves and, and, and how do we how do we see ourselves and then how do we see others? And where is where are some natural points of, of connection, you know? with with black lives matter you know gets a lot of flack from conservative circles because they inherently think that it's anti blue lives matter right. and i don't right. think that's the case um you can be enchant black lives matter and still want the police lives matter but you're saying like hey for this moment in time we really need to raise consciousness you know on this issue that doesn't make you you know an enemy um, it makes you a voice and we need to honor that voice. And, and sometimes in honoring that voice, we need to reflect on, well, how do we see ourselves? And in that self-identity, how does that mix with this other person's identity? And, and where is there a common you know, communication point? Like, how can we understand, right? So, so people who you know, are saying blue lives matter, how can you understand uh, and what do you need to do to come to a better understanding of why the people who are who are chanting Black Lives Matter are so upset? And I I tend to think I might be a little naive, but I think if you really had a real authentic experience of communication with that person, you, you would understand, and you'd be okay, and you'd be on their side, and vice versa. But we typically don't see that, you know, especially with you know, it. it back I think to visual media I don't watch a lot of, well I don't watch national news at all and I don't even really watch local news the vast majority of news that I consume is through online and print media because I you know I'm a little news bougie and that I think that those sources of materials tend to be um, you know a bit better higher quality and vetted and balanced and but when you look on the national national screen, you'll see, you know, some debates where it's like, here's a person that attacks hard, hard right. Here's a person that attacks hard, hard left. And let's watch them argue. That's right. And so I think the net effect of that, seeing that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, is that you get hardened in one camp or another and you begin to see the other side as as less than human being. Right. So I'm. You know, there's I, I don't even know how you could say black lives matter. You know, people who, who say that use a hashtag or affiliate themselves with one of those you know, organizations is somehow an enemy or somehow a threat. 
And on the verse side, I don't see how you can see a Blue Lives Matter crowd, someone who's chanting that, seeing them as, as a threat. Um, but I think because we were caught up in this camp cycle of identity, and I've got to be hard tacked with this identity, and being in this identity means I can't like or appreciate or understand or value this other person's identity, and we've hardened ourselves into these camps. Um, and that, I think, is... Is, is the reason why, at least in the immediate future, I don't see a heck of a lot of progress. And, and, and further on the political shape, you know, we have a president that himself has made a career in hardening identity in one particular camp or another. Um, and, and, and that having that person in a high office is is influencing a conversation across a national and international sphere, you know, I think in, in negative ways. So I'm not sure how we get over this this hump, but I know it's a hump we need to get over if we are to see fewer stories like a Jordan Edwards uh, or like a Trayvon Martin. Um, that's the way. That's the path forward. I think very broadly, but I'm I'm not sure if we can get there. Yeah. yeah, I'm in agreement. How do we how do we move forward, and how do we connect with one another so that we can have these conversations and eliminate the need for parents to grieve, and spouses and partners to grieve, and children to grieve for the loss of life that they experience, right? Because all of this is connected and that's the problem. When I think that it's you all over there, I'm part of the problem because, you know, I am you and you are me. There are no others. There's no us versus them. And it has become that. And I do feel, I will say this out of necessity, I believe that people of color or other marginalized communities, so LGBTQ, whether uh, Muslims in this country, um, have become very marginalized right. because they've almost been pushed into a corner. And so I'm sure it feels like it is an us versus them out of survival, you know, for right. the only reason is to survive. And so I do not mean to, and my intention is not to minimize that experience at all. Right. Um, what I would say is that people that find themselves in the majority, whatever that means, and or, you know, people that experience privilege in a certain arena to hold up and bolster up and strengthen and speak out and speak out against, speak up and speak out against some of the travesties that marginalized communities are experiencing, that right. will be also helpful. You know, I don't need someone to speak for me because I have my own story and I have a voice. But I right. would if you are someone that can, you know, speak up and speak out against something that I'm experiencing and then say, and now to tell you in her own words what she's experienced, this is Shadima Uzer, that's a far different thing than someone speaking on my behalf, right? Because right. that is not helpful. I don't need another person in the majority to tell me about my own experience and to tell others about my own experience. I need to be able right. to get up and say that. So right. I think we need to wrap up sadly. 
Aww. It's been so fun to talk to you. And we started on the light and we ended up on a little bit less light stuff, but it boils down to human connection, right? Like, yeah, yeah. That's what these well, questions are about. Well, I even have like a, a story that kind of even a quick yeah, little one that absolutely. blends even both. Yeah, so. and then, yeah, and then we will just um, read some of these human, well, I'll read them to all of us and then we'll end <laughs> the way we normally do. So yeah, absolutely. So I have been in two interracial relationships, um, one of which um, she had a family member that definitely was racist. Like I was told about this person prior to meeting the person. um, And, you know, but part of my personality is, you know, and, and not to be, you know, cocky or arrogant, but to know me is to love me, right? I love people, love all types, different types of people. And, and I strive to have authentic connections with those folks. And so as me and that family member began to have a relationship and communicate with one another, um, she liked me, right? So here I am, I'm a black male. I'm, I'm dating your daughter of a, of a different, or your granddaughter of a different race. And, and you like me and you recognize that I am uh, good for your granddaughter you know that I, I treat her well and honor her and respect her and so you know I would like to think that that in a small way helped you know changed her perspective of how she saw black people and black men in particular um, but again we can only get to that point because you know we, we we would have dinners together right, right. we would yeah. you know break bread and we would you know talk about life our hopes and our struggles and our fears and, and through that I think if we can do more of that, we'll have a better tomorrow. I agree. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's so, it's so, so true. So friends, I'll probably have Steven on here again. You'll come on again yeah. in the future, right? I'd love to. Okay. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So everyone, thank you so much for your love and support of the type a hippie podcast. The Chicast wouldn't be where it is without your insight. Uh, review it. Subscribe to it, share it with friends. Um, so thank you. All right, so a couple, three stories out of Humans of New York. Uh, so it looks like a girl, and it, she says, "I just broke up. Well, I just got broken up with. I thought I was going to marry him. It's frustrating after being independent for so long and going from place to place and man to man. I finally come to a point where I'm ready to settle, and I can't." Um. So then this guy, I came from Thailand one month ago. It is very difficult for me to, how do you say, make communication with someone. I cannot say anything complicated. It makes me look like a fool. Aww. And then finally, a young girl. I'm trying to be myself, but it's hard to be myself because people might not like who you really are. And who are you really? I don't know yet. So I totally identify with... You know, sometimes it is easy to kind of pretend like you're someone else and then it becomes not so easy. So, which is good with growth. Um, but she was a young, a young person. She looked like she was in a high school uniform or middle school uniform. So, all right. I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. 
I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I'm in that place in me, there's only one of us. So friends, have a gratitude-filled day. My name is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie. Namaste.